Our scripture reading this morning is from Revelations 20, 12 through 15. In the Pew Bible, that's 1,102, page 1,102. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who found written, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Good morning. Again, if you're a guest, we welcome you. And we are so grateful that you chose to worship God with us this morning here. Normally, David Shannon is delivering the sermon. However, you saw in the picture, he's in El Salvador, along with a large group. And we're praying that that mission trip goes well in El Salvador and the kingdom of God grows in that country and that many lives will be impacted. My name is Daniel Nordstrom. I am a deacon. I work in World English Institute here, and that's using the Bible to teach English to students around the world through the internet. I'm also teamed up with Derek Mabroom and Widows and Widowers, and we work with that group. And also be working with Don Humphrey in South Sudan. My family and I, we moved to Mount Juliet one year ago. We came from Germany, and that was where I had my last assignment in the Air Force. I spent a career in the Air Force where I flew F-16s, which is a fighter jet, and also T-38s, which is a supersonic jet trainer. And these first two pictures were taken by my wife, Gina. She got to go up in a KC-135 air-to-air refueling aircraft. And it just so happened that I was on the schedule that day and got to go fly. And she got to take these pictures of me and the, the Air National Guard they actually let her talk on the radio and clear me into the refueling position. I was surprised to hear her voice on the radio, but that was a, a real treat to be able to do that. The F-16 has incredible power. The engine has 30,000 pounds of thrust. The thrust to weight ratio is greater than one. So basically, it's like being strapped to a rocket. If you're outside and you see the afterburners being lit, you can feel the pounding in your chest. When you're inside the jet and you throw the throttle up to the forward left quadrant, it'll pin your head back against the seat. And you can be 500 knots by the end of the runway. You can stand the jet on its tail and blast off. It's fast. It's capable of going two times the speed of sound, or Mach 2. The fastest I flew in it was 1,200 miles an hour, 1,200 miles an hour. And to give you a perspective on that kind of speed, when you're driving down the highway, you're driving at about one mile a minute, just a little faster than one mile a minute. At 1,200 miles an hour, I was doing one mile every three seconds. So things were clipping by fast. 
not only speed, but it's, the F-16 is very agile and maneuverable. Great for dogfights. It can sustain a 9G turn, or nine times the force of gravity. For example, if a pilot weighs 200 pounds and you pull 9Gs, that pilot now weighs 1,800 pounds, about as much as a small car. And that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like a small car is rolling over your chest. It hurts quite a bit. It kind of tears up your body. You get some bruises, but you get used to it after a while. And you have to strain against the force of gravity. The blood wants to drain from your brain and you can, you'll lose your vision. And if you don't strain, you'll actually lose consciousness. And so you strain against that. Not only was it extreme power with the engine and the airframe, but we had incredible power with the weapons. F-16's multi-role fighter, so he had air-to-ground and air-to-air -air munitions. For an air-to-ground mission, one time I dropped 4,000 pounds on it. It was a training mission off the coast of South Korea, and it was on a rock island. And when the bombs impacted, the debris scattered for half a mile. You can imagine what the fireball looked like from that. We also had air-to-air -air missiles, which could engage enemy aircraft. In fact, one of the pilots in my squadron shot down uh, an aircraft over Iraq. And we also had missiles that could engage ground targets. The engineers that designed the F-16 did just an amazing job, incredible job. The jet itself was easy to fly. The mission was extremely difficult to master, but to fly the jet was easy. After a few hours in the aircraft, I didn't think about what I was doing with the stick and throttle. It was like it was an extension of my body. It's like I just thought what I wanted to do with the jet, and the jet just did it. It was incredible. It was uh, a thrill having that kind of power at your fingertips. But it was when I was in F-16 training in Phoenix, Arizona, that I ran into a more incredible kind of power. Power more awesome than anything man can come up with. And that is the power of God and the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It was there when I was, began reading my Bible that it produced faith in me. When I was reading about the life of Jesus, I saw that the Bible was not written by man, but written by God, and I learned about the teachings of Jesus, how he healed, how he led that perfect life without sin, and then went to the cross for my sins. He was buried and he rose again. I, I was cut to the heart, and I repented of my sins, and I turned to God, and I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I was baptized, I was immersed, I was submerged in water for the forgiveness of my sins. My sins were washed away and I rose up a new creature and I've been living for him ever since. But I still had a lot of room to grow. I needed to grow a lot. And reading in the Bible, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you read the Bible, it gives you a chance to grow and it opens up your heart. And God's word was like a hammer that broke through even the hard shell 
of my heart. And reading his word and understanding how holy he is and seeing what I needed to do to become more like Jesus. And also at that time, I was learning about the spiritual threats that we face. And as I went on to more training, I learned about the physical threats. I ended up going on to two multiple uh, combat uh, sort of places and have 63 combat sorties over Iraq and over Bosnia. I want to show you a picture of uh, an SA-6. Our mission in Germany, we were flying over uh, Bosnia in combat, this is an SA-6 missile system, surface-to-air missile system. It's designed to shoot down aircraft, and in fact, it shot down several F-16s. Our mission was we had a high-speed anti-radiation missile, and we could sense when they turned the radar on, and we could fire the missile at it and take out the site. This is the same missile system. Some of you may remember when Scott O'Grady was shot down. He was flying an F-16, was shot down by an SA-6. He ejected, he was evading on the ground, and eventually was rescued by Americans. One of, the, one of my squadron mates, he took out an SA-6 site with a, a missile, and later the Serbians were on our squadron frequency. Somehow they, they knew our squadron frequency, and they were screaming at us, yelling how they were going to, to kill us. And of course, they were throwing in extra curse words and that. So I, I know what it's like to have people trying to kill me and people shooting at me with anti-aircraft artillery. And we were equipped to defend ourselves. We had intelligence reports and we knew where threat rings were. So we had an idea of where the missile sites were. And since we were armed and we could defend ourselves, we could react, we were very vigilant looking out for the threat. And we would react and, and um, we were protecting other aircraft, say for example a C-130 that did not have the same systems we could. So they would stay safer in their, their area of safety, but we would go actively into the threats. So America, I know, has real enemies. They want to destroy us and they want to destroy our freedom. I want to introduce to you uh, one of our Christian brothers, Corporal Ryan Collins. Ryan Collins, he is a 20-year-old from the small town of Vernon, Texas. And you may notice something unusual in the picture. If you look at his name tag, you'll see that his, his name is upside down. And that was Ryan's way of evangelizing. He had found out that there are more than one Collins at different places. So, example, in a, in a roll call, be called out more than one Collins. And when Ryan would go on a combat mission, when he would go outside the wire, the name tag is on Velcro. And he would tell others that in case he were called home, that he wanted God to be able to look down and easily see and get the right Collins. Ryan was supposed to come home on leave, but there was a fellow soldier in his unit that his wife just gave birth to a, a baby. And Ryan, instead of taking his own leave, gave it to his fellow soldier so he could be with his wife and newborn. Ryan was shot and killed several days later after making that decision. And instead of going home on leave, he went home to his family, draped underneath an American flag. It was on Memorial Day 
that my family and I, we went to pay our respects to Ryan and his family. And he looked extremely young in that coffin. And my youngest daughter, Anna, she reminded me just how long his eyelashes were. Ryan knew that his life on earth could be cut short and he knew that the enemy was real. And our spiritual enemy is real. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. John 8, 44 says, The devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan wants to destroy us, and he wants to destroy our families. He wants to separate us from God. It's hard for us to imagine the threat of a, a wild lion, but we do have a, a brother that we worship with, Santino Har, that knows all too well the th threat of wild lions. When he was a young boy in Sudan, he was avoiding the Civil War and was forced to flee into the bush. And he did that for four months required to travel at night because it wasn't safe to walk around during the day because of the fighting. We know that he was successful in evading the lions, but he said that they were, they could be just anywhere, just behind the Sudan grass. Uh, and many of his travel companions were taken by wild lions. Facing a lion is a, a fearful thing, and we are like sheep going before a lion. We need God's protection. If I were to, for example, get into a boxing ring with Satan without God's protection, it will be a, a first round knockout every time. Satan will win. We need God's protection. And thankfully, God does offer protection. We need to be strong in the Lord and put on his armor. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. You notice that we need to be strong in the Lord. And in the Lord is key. If you're not a child of God, you are not in the Lord. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And that's how we are in Christ. The power is the Lord's, but through faith we are strengthened by it. And notice that the evil spiritual realm, there's a hierarchy, they're organized, they're, there's a, a plan of attack that's trying to destroy us. So let's take a look at the armor and what we need to put on. Ephesians 6, 14 through 18. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. God's truth is what goes around our waist and it keeps all of our armor in place. And the breastplate of righteousness protects all of our vital organs. And the righteousness is being right with God and doing what is right. We need to obey God and in obedience follow his word. Our feet or our boots, we wear the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the gospel of peace, it's interesting words. The, the, the good news, the gospel, we can have peace with God. We can, our sins can be washed away. And we need to reflect on that, meditate on that. But not only that, share that with others. The shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing. We need to be in God's word. And when we're walking our Christian life, our shield will help deflect all the fiery darts of the devil because things will be coming at us and we know that the devil will be throwing temptations our way. And we need to reflect on salvation. We need to remember that if you're a child of God that your name is written in the book of life and that will protect your mind. We need to always be praying with all kinds of supplications and requests for all the saints and of course being watchful because the threats are coming at us all the time. Life throws so many threats at us. And we need to persevere. We need to remember to never, never quit. And I'm thankful that God equips us so well for the spiritual battle. Going into combat, you don't plan on quitting. You plan on fighting till the, till the work is done. So you can see by the armor that we need to be in God's word, be reflecting on it, Remember what he has done for us. Be watchful and be praying and never quit. In the aircraft, I was, I was equipped and the engineers did a great job designing. I'd like to show you a picture of the F-16 cockpit. You'll see up top, there's a, a heads up display. And it displayed vital information. It had airspeed and altitude and your attitude. So you could see uh, what you're doing and other information. And the interesting thing about the heads-up display is you could look at all the vital information and still be looking ahead and seeing where you're going and, and what the threats are. You see a, maybe a couple things that look like computer screens, one on the left and one on the right, about halfway down. The one on the left was a multifunction display and we usually had the radar called up. And the radar is actively searching for air-to-air -air targets. So it's looking for bogeys, it's, it's searching for those. And on the right side, most of the time, we'd call up air-to-ground threats, and there'd be sensors looking for the air-to-ground targets. There's a lot of information thrown at you in the cockpit, and it was easy to get channelized attention or task saturation. So you had to be careful at what you're looking at, and you had to have a good cross-check and keep that cross-check going. And we needed to make sure that, that it was always on parameters, because you had to maintain aircraft control and make sure that you had the proper airspeed and altitude and those things. One of my squadron mates, he became a demonstration pilot. And a demonstration pilot, it's a, it's a very dangerous job because you're near the ground. And the ground is, is not forgiving. He was going to a, a new city, it was Kingsville, Texas, and the weather was questionable. He did not have time to practice his routine. He wanted to get the show accomplished anyway, 
So be, even with the questionable weather, he tried to accomplish a split S maneuver where he rolls inverted and pulls through, but he didn't realize that he was off his parameters. He was too low and too slow to make it through on the split S maneuver. So during the maneuver, he impacted the ground. A tragic accident, hor horrible accident. It was made worse that his parents were attending the show that day. And spiritually, we have our own heart parameters that we need to be careful and that we need to guard. James 1, 13 through 15 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Satan is throwing temptations at us, but we have a responsibility for our actions. And we have to be careful of that threat from within ourselves. Some people will even go as far to blame God for sin. And the argument goes something like this. God created humans, and humans, we have certain desires. So if I act on that evil desire, it's God's fault. The Bible clearly teaches that's completely false. That's wrong. God is pure. He is holy. He is good. He does not want to do anything evil. He doesn't want to do wrong. And he doesn't want you to do wrong. He gives us a choice. We have a choice to do right, or to do wrong. We have a choice to love him. We have a choice to hate him. And notice that each one was drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That word enticed is a hunting or fishing term. It means like to bait. And what do you do when you go fishing? You have a, a lure and you try to make that as attractive as you can to the fish, all the while disguising the hook. You want to get that fish to come out of its area of safety and to bite down on that lure so you can hook the fish and reel it in. And when desire, when you act on that desire and it conceives, it gives birth to sin. And this is a, a, a monstrous offspring so we need to be careful. What, what does your heart desire? Is it desiring? Is it actively searching? Is it looking for things to draw you close to God? Or is your heart searching for things drawing you away from God? And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Death is a separation. Physical death is the physical body being separated from the soul. Spiritual death is being, having the soul separated from God and all the goodness and all his light. So what should we do? We need to walk in the light. First John chapter one, verses five through 10 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The word walk here, of course, is our 
our actions, our, our behavior. And if we say our Christian walk, that is how we're living out our, our Christian life. And notice, as we're, if we're walking in the light, notice what cleanses us. It's the blood of Jesus. It continues to cleanse. And it's wonderful that we can fellowship together and we're walking in the light. We have the fellowship together as we do this morning and the blood of Jesus will continue to cleanse us. That is if we're walking in the light. And when we're walking, we are going to stumble. We will fall down. And the Bible clearly teaches that. But we need to get back up and we need to confess our sins. In the confession, it's not just, oh, by the way, I'm doing these evil things. It's in a humble acknowledgement that you've wronged, that you've sinned against God. I've got a close relationship with my wife and my children. And if I do something that offends them, that hurts them, I want to make that right. I want have that relationship be whole again, to be restored, so that we have that fellowship. And it continues in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And you can see, why is John writing this? So that we don't sin. But if we do, we have an advocate. We have a, a spiritual legal counsel. And Jesus not only is our, our lawyer, but he actually paid the penalty that we all deserve. And how do we know if we know him? That's if we keep his commandments. If we say that we know him and we don't keep his commandments, we're lying to ourselves. So how serious is sin? In the context of adultery, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was, of course, teaching that adultery is wrong. But he went on to teach that even lustfully looking at someone who is not your spouse is like committing adultery in your heart. And Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 5, 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. How serious was sin to Jesus? What kind of effort does he expect you to take? This is an heroic effort to deal with sin. And we take this as a figure of speech because we know even if you pluck your eye out, you can still lust. Even if you cut off your hand, you can still sin. But it shows to what extent we need to deal with sin. You need to ask yourself, how are your relationships? Or is there a relationship that's leading you down the path of sin? Maybe you need to cut that off and cast that relationship away. Or maybe there's something you're doing on the computer that's leading you to sin. What kind of action would Jesus expect you to take? I think one of the keys in keeping ourselves and guarding our heart's parameters is found in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. 
How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And you can see the psalmist is drawing close to God. He's drawing close to his commands and is in his word. And when you hide God's word in your heart, it'll keep you from sinning. It's like a, a circle of safety. God wants what is best for you and he wants you to be close to him. So what did I learn today? Number one, my enemy is real. The devil wants to destroy me and separate me from God. Two, I need to put on the whole armor of God. I need God's power and his protection. I need to guard my heart and control my desire. I need to walk in the light and obey God's word. And I need to take action to stop my sin. There will be a great day. And on that day, it won't matter what kind of job you had. It won't matter where you lived. It won't matter what kind of accomplishments you have made. Just one thing will matter, whether your name is written in the book of life. If we go to the next slide, please. And you can see in Revelation 3, 5, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. We need to overcome. If you are a child of God, you don't want Jesus to blot out your name from the book of life. We need to continue, we need to persevere, we need to never quit. In Revelation 21, 22 through 23, and also verse 27, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you don't belong to the Lord, you can this morning. You've heard about Jesus. If you believe that he's a son of God, that he died for your sins, was buried and has risen again. And if you repent of your sins, you turn to God, confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be immersed in the waters of baptism and have your sins washed away. You can start your walk and be protected by God's armor. Because there will be one final roll call when things will all be wrapped up. And if you're not at peace with God, this morning, we'd love to help you with that. We'd love to be the family of God so that you can make peace with him. If you have any need, please come now.